Let's pray. Father, we lift your name. We're thankful for you today, Father. We ask that you enter this place with us today as we agree together and come into one accord. Let your Holy Spirit flow within us with a mighty power, Lord. We ask that you come into this place, Lord, today. Anoint the word today, Lord. Me with the praise team as they lift up their voices to honor and glorify you. May your glory be surrounded in this place today, Father. We lift it up. Lord, bend down your ear and hear our cry today, Lord. We want to be that which you want for us, the destiny for this region. Lord, we ask that you give us everything that we need. Send those that we need to work together with now, Father. Lord, bless each and every one that is here today. We're careful to give you the praise and glory for your mighty name is greater than all others. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.
You can download that app and it will give you each day where we're at and where we're reading. We also, there's another app called Bible Is and it will read to you. So if you're a mom and you're on the way to school and you want to get that word in yourself and in your children or what, wherever you need to uh, read that at. I think you, if you have you version on your Bible, it will also read a couple of versions to you. Uh, and each week on the Palace of Praise Facebook page, we post that uh, the reading for that week, the schedule of reading, it's on there. I'm just giving you different places where you can find that. And there are a few more booklets. If you're like me, I want a hard copy in my hand. So there are some of these booklets out there. Now we just finished Genesis and Exodus, and we are about to plow into Leviticus. That is exciting. 
Now listen, years ago, I said, Lord, I'm going to read, this sounds terrible, uh, the most boringest book in the Bible I can think of, and it was Leviticus. And so when I started reading Leviticus, though, just like the Lord is, and just like he does, I was reading about the burnt offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, and it started getting heavier and heavier on me. Seeing the blood, the death, the realization of what sin really does. There's always death in sin. There has to be blood to atone for sin and how serious God is about sin. It made me realize that I just can't take life Maxie Daisy, I'll do what I want to, but God is serious about sin. And not only that, he is serious about a relationship with me. But as I was reading that, and as the Holy Spirit does, he led me to Hebrews. And I'm not asking you to do this, but if you would read the book of Hebrews with Leviticus, you would find all of a sudden you would find the captain of your salvation who conquers the enemy uh, of death and conquers Satan. You will find the high priest who offered up his own blood, the, his own spotless blood on the altar of God. And I want to read uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, one of my favorite scriptures. I'm going to just quote it. It says, Look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of God. So as you're reading Leviticus, I just want to encourage you to look and find Jesus through those pages. And if perhaps maybe you want to have that special time of communion with the Lord, get you a cup of grape juice and some crackers with your spouse, with your friends, by yourself, and you can have communion with him. You will find those scriptures in Matthew chapter 26 and um, Mark chapter 14, Luke 22. You can find where Jesus institutes the communion with him. And then 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us instruction about communion. And then Paul tells us, as often as you do this, you remember the Lord's death. We're looking back at his death until he comes. And we're looking forward to when Christ comes again. Thank you. Keep reading. Praise the Lord this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would just go ahead and stand back up with me. I want to remind you as you leave today, you can drop your tithes off in our tithe boxes or you can continue to give online. We're thankful for your giving and your giving means that the kingdom is expanding. It is growing and we're thankful to, for you and your giving and we're thankful mostly to be able to grow the kingdom here in Popper Bluff and in the surrounding area. Let's do our declaration together this morning. And we're going to pray over the service, worship some more, and get into God's Word. Let's say these things together in faith today. Lord, today, by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. 
We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we're thankful for the leading of our pastors, for us to get into God's word. Lord Jesus, I pray in this time in January and the months going forward, Lord, that people will keep the course, run the race, and keep digging into the Bible. And as they do, I pray you begin to reveal continually more and more of who you are. And that people, when we get into the word, that we would continue to fall more in love with who you are as we learn more about who you are, God. I pray the Holy Spirit visits people when they open your word, that he speaks to them directly, that the word speaks, but we pray the Holy Spirit accompany accompany that as well, where you're very tangible in your presence, Lord. We're thankful to be in your house today. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the name of Jesus. Amen.
standing just a little longer as we go to pastor's text this morning from Matthew 16 verses 13 through 19 Matthew 16 13 through 19 and this is what the word of the Lord says this morning when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I am or who do excuse me whom do men say that I the son of man am And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Lord, today we're thankful for your word, that it speaks to us right where we're at every day, God. We're thankful for this opportunity to hear from our pastor and that which you placed in his soul and on his heart. And I pray today that you would help him deliver that message with anointing, liberty, and power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Uh, We just want to remind you of our fast that we're going to be starting this coming week. We're going to be started on February the 1st on Tuesday. And uh, this year, the Lord's just directed me a little bit differently. Usually we fast one meal a day for one week and two meals a a day for the second week. And then we fast all the whole week on the third week. Uh, But this year, we're just going to ask you to do at least one meal a day. And, you know, that means that if you're going to fast lunch, that you won't eat anything all the way from lunch, all the way to supper. And, uh, you know, we're just asking you to do that. I don't know why the Lord has changed me, but that's just what I felt like doing. Or you can do the Daniel fast, or you can fast as much as you desire as well. But we're just going to be all trying to fast together in harmony for the revival of the land, for revival of the church, and we're believing God to do an outpouring in these last days. I'm going to try to pick up with our series that I started at the first of the year, and I do apologize for the interruption and the uh, interference due to my sickness. I want to thank each and every one of you for praying for me. I want you to continually be praying for me. I'm very, very weak, and my voice is very, very weak, so I'm going to try not to preach this morning. I'm going to do more of a teaching, and I had a different sermon that actually that I'd been working on, and out of the book of Ezekiel about the series as well, and and it's more of a preachy-type message, but this is more of a teaching-type message, and the Lord's really laid this in my heart for this Sunday, so we just want to try to convey to you what the Lord is going to do. 
here today. Our series is on the topic, Rise Up. We've been, that's what we started. And as we get into this series, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to rise up? What If you were to look at, at the church, and if you was going to look at the model of rising up, what does it mean for a church or for a people of God to rise up? What does it look like? What, what is the image? What is the structure? What, 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 are we to, what are we to anticipate? What are we to, what are we to look forward to when this thing called rise up? To rise up means a position change. It means a change of venue. To rise up means to go to a higher elevation or to a higher dimension. To rise up means to climax, to turn to a higher point or, or position. Now, when you look at all of those definitions, that means that if you're going to rise up, that means that you're headed to a higher level or a higher plane. How many want to go into a deeper dimension with God or higher dimension? How many knows there's room for improvement in all of us here today? And yet we are to go to this higher level in God. That's what this means to rise up. But, you know, we are all, according to the book of Ephesians under the Apostle Paul's teachings, that we're all to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many knows that the church of Jesus Christ is to have authority and dominion? As a matter of fact, when we get into our text, we're not going to get into this part of it, but we even have the power to bind things on earth and to bind things in heaven. Can I have an amen? We have the authority of Jesus Christ behind us. But to rise up, what does it mean? To rise up also carries with it to meet high expectations, to reach unlimited resources, to obtain spiritual empowerment, and to have overwhelming successes. I don't know about you, but when I read that definition of rising up, I get all excited for a church to have uh, have all of its highest expectations to be met. We all have different ideas of what God wants to do in the last days. We all have a different viewpoint of how the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. But can you imagine that everything that we can ever imagine in our heart that God can do exceedingly, even abundantly above that. That our highest expectations can be met as we get on this plane of rising up. How about to reach unlimited resources or to obtain spiritual empowerment or to have overwhelming successes. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of failing. I'm ready to have some successes. I'm tired of having setbacks. I'm ready to have some victories. Can I have an amen? How many's ready for some victories in the palace of praise? How many's ready to have forward advancement? Can I have an amen? I'm tired of being pushed back. I'm ready to walk forward. Can I have an amen? And to rise up means to leave where one is at, to remove oneself from idleness, to go forward, to launch, to change, to gain momentum, and abandons one's familiarities and one's comfort zones. Now that's kind of a hard definition because that means there's a responsibility upon us in order for us to get to the place that God wants us to get. That we've got to leave our comfort zones. We've got to leave our places of familiarity. we got to launch. we got to change. If we keep doing the same old thing that we've always done, we're going to keep getting the same old results we've always had. we got to have change. There's got to be forward momentum. we got to leave idleness and slothfulness. And to rise up means to become mobile, to be on the move, resist the mediocrity, and to resist the desire to settle. If there's one thing that will kill a church more than anything else, is for a church just to come in and settle with what we got. Now, what we got is good, but the enemy of great is good. I don't want to be good. I want to be great. How about you? I want you to understand that there is more for the palace of praise than what we've got right now. We have a great church. We have a great people. We got a great worship band. We got great preachers. We got great teachers. We got great ushers. We got great greeters. We got great youth departments, children's departments. But I want to tell you, if we think that we've seen anything, we haven't seen anything yet because God's going to take us from the land of good to the land 
kind of great. How many believes that? Are you ready for more of God? If you are, say hallelujah. Come on, church. You get in this thing with me. Amen? <clears throat> but these are all the words and the phrases that we use in the body of Christ to describe this thing called rising up. And even though everything I preached, I believe, yet we could preach much just on the phrases uh, uh, that, that, that describes this term. If you just look at the definitions and I just take the one little definition each month and preach on it, we could preach a year about the meaning of rising up. Th these would all make good sermons, but is this the real picture and definition of what he's meaning for us to rise up. All these things that I have said, is that the real picture? Is that really what God's speaking to us? Is that the really the way that the term is to be uh, explained? Is that really the way what that term means in all these definitions? I think so much of the time that we can over-exaggerate spiritual movement while at the same time that we underestimate the importance of spiritual alignment. It's not as important of what you do it's important of who you are. Your being will always always bring about your doing. Can I have an amen? I think that we're more focused on movement and works than we are proper alignment. We're fast to move, but we're slow to align. A lot of times we move way before we think. And can I tell you, I also think that we can move prematurely and cause us to miss the mark by miles due to us not being properly aligned up with God. For example, they say that if you pull one of your hairs and measure the width of a hair and and if you shoot a rocket or a missile from the United States to any nation of any country and you're off by one degree of that hair that by the time that that rocket hits its, hits its target it would miss it by miles just being off by a hair and I think that we are if we are not formed if we're not aligned properly then it doesn't matter what we do or how much we work or what kind of movement we have or what kind of ministries that we engage we're going to miss the mark we're going to be unsuccessful and we're not going to have the success that God wants us to have as a body of Christ. God is speaking about the church to readjust itself, to realign itself. Yes, there's got to be change. In order to go forward, in order to do greater things, in order to have better things, we got to have a proper alignment in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But just because something is moving and making noise does not mean that it's successful and it's progressive and it's alive. As a matter of fact, we don't need just noise and busyness. We need effectiveness. The body of Christ needs to be effective. Can I have an amen? When people come in hurting and wounded, we need to be the answer. We need to have the answer. We need to be on the top of our game. When people come in sick, there needs to be the power around our altars to heal. When people come in lost, there needs to be the power around our altars to save. When people come in bound, there needs to be the power around our altars to deliver. How many believes that? If we're going to be Pentecostal, let's be Pentecostal to the full extent. If we're only going to proclaim it, then I don't want any part of it. I don't want to be hypocritical. If I'm going to proclaim something, that's what we're going to do. We at the Palace of Praise are going to see the manifestation that God has always promised because we are going to start properly aligning ourselves and when we get properly aligned, heaven's going to flow down and God's going to fill this place by the power and the anointing of his Holy Spirit. If you believe that, stand to your feet and give God glory right now in advance. Amen. Woo! <clears throat> we need to be effective. Now, I said I wasn't going to preach. I got to slow down because my voice won't last in preaching. I'm telling you. The word alignment means the arrangement in a straight line 
are in a correct or an appropriate relative position. How many knows that we're walking a straight and narrow path? Amen. There's no variance for us to get out of alignment with God. We have to be in alignment. It also means to be in a correct alignment relationally, the body being properly aligned and developed. If there's one thing that I know spiritually that the body needs to be developed and be properly aligned, it's a lot easier just to work, to engage, to move, become busy than it is to structure, develop, and properly align oneself. As a matter of fact, sometimes we want to justify what we do. Uh, we want to justify who we are by what we do. But the truth of the matter is we need to be more focused in who we are and then what we do will be a prime example of the character that's, that we really are on the inside of ourselves. Let me ask you, do you how do you fare in, a, in the natural when your body's out of alignment? How does it affect your performance? How does it affect your productivity? Does it affect your ability and hinder you or, and cause you not to meet certain expectations when you're not properly aligned? Of course it does. When my back goes out, I mean, I'm out. I can't lift. I can't walk. Matter of fact, if the house would catch on fire, there's no way even to get out of the house. I'd burn up because if I try to move, I pass out because of pain. That's how much out of alignment that I get at times. And let me ask you a question. You hear people all over this congregation always say, oh, I got a chiropractor appointment on Tuesday. I got a chiropractor appointment on Wednesday. Why do you go to the chiropractor? Most of the time, 99% of the time, he'll say, oh, you're out of alignment. And he'll pop you. He'll adjust you to get you back in alignment. Why is it that we won't put up with being out of alignment in our natural body, but we sure put up being out of alignment in our spiritual body. Come on, somebody. I tell you what we need. We need a pop from the chiropractor of heaven here today. We need a realignment from, and the adjustments from the hands of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? How many is ready for God to come down and realign us here today? Amen. Over the past year, many of us pastors have been really asking ourselves some real tough questions, doing self-examination. I've talked to many of them. The leaders that I've been talking to have been on a conquest for answers. Some men that have been in the ministry a lot longer even than I have because we're living in a difficult time, a time when it seems like God's not speaking. God's not speaking in clarity like he once used to, and none of us is figuring out why. Every, this, the last couple, two or three years, it's just like you're just living by faith, man. You hear from God to preach messages, but when it comes to goals and ambitions and 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 and, uh, and, go, and, and vision and all that stuff, it's just drying up. And all over all over the country, people are saying, "Man, we don't know what's going on. We've never been here. This is a place that we've never been at before in our whole lives." I believe that there's more pastors, leaders, and teachers seeking for revelation now in the history more now than in the history of the whole time of the 21st century. I believe right now more people are on their seeking God for answers and seeking God for a true revival than ever before. Spiritual hunger is on the rise and thank God for that because you know what Matthew 5 and 6 says blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness they shall be filled and right now I am encouraged because I think God's just withdrawn a spirit to create a hunger. I think that God has just withdrawn a spirit and the things where we feel like we're losing I hear pastors all the time saying man it seems like we're losing on every front he said we preach healing and sickness just plagues us. We preach deliverance, bondage just comes in. He said, man, we're used to having so everything seems to be dried up around here. He said, we don't even know why. Things just change just like that. All over America, people are saying that. Why? And they say, well, it's because it's the last days, because there's an enemy that has begun to plague the land, and because there's the open up of the heavens, the principalities has gained momentum. They have gained ground. 
Yes, they have. But it's time that we take that ground by and not settle in defeat and realize that God wants the church to rise up. Can I have an amen? Rise up, O church. But spiritual hunger is on the rise. And we're looking and pastors are asking why in all of our busyness, in all of our work, in all of our service, in all of our ministries. Why is there not a spirit of revival that's moving people to repentance and salvation? You see little bits of it around the nation. But as a whole, churches are not in revival. Can I have an amen? Can we be honest? As a whole, churches are not in revival. What has happened to true transformation where when a man gets saved or when a man gets a deliver, or when a man gets born again, he's transformed, he, he's changed and he's delivered. The man that's living with his girlfriend, when he comes and truly gets born again, he gets up. He don't want to live with her anymore unless he marries her. What's happened to that? What has happened to the signs and wonders of the church? What's happened to the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You don't even hear of people being filled with the Holy Ghost anymore. What's going on in our country? What's going on in our land? These are the real questions that desire that, that deserve real answers from us as leaders. You're looking to me for the answer because I'm your leader and I am the one that's supposed to seek it out and try to find the answers to these questions. And I believe I have found those answers. Pastors are pulling their hair out un, un, under pressure trying to find the solutions to their dying church that don't no longer have an influence or an impact, impact in the town that they dwell in. I've had pastors tell me if my church would fold today, it wouldn't affect our city whatsoever. So we have no influence in our town. We don't have no impact on our community. We don't have any kind of bearing, I think. And me personally, I think that they're over-exaggerating. I think that they've kind of lost some vision there. Because you take a congregation out, whether you know it or not, that seed did have an effect. Can I have an amen? If If this church would cease to be here today, Papa Bluff would have great destruction as a result of taking this church out. Amen? We have pastors and church leaders that is wondering how they're always arriving at home at church at the exact same time every Sunday afternoon. One pastor got home to his wife that we had been talking to and said, why is it that every day we come home at the exact same time? They're also asking the question, why is my sermon preached to the same old people and crowd each week? But the real concern is not only that there's no new people coming into the church, but some of the pastors are saying, I'm tired of me preaching sermons where there's no movement among the people that are there. That it's the same old, same old. And the ones that do move, it's the same ones that always move. That there's no fresh movement. There's no fresh spirit. There's not a spirit of revival or expectation. Why is there no outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they're asking? Why is there no spontaneity in the services where the Holy Ghost just comes down and messes your schedules and your programs and your agendas and your routines up? I'm ready to be here to midnight tonight, are you? Come on, let's let the Holy Ghost just mess our day up. Why do we have to get done every day at 12? Why do we have to eat at the same restaurant to get home at the same time, take the nap at the same time, and get back up here on Sunday morning? These were where pastors are saying, what's happened? When I was a little boy, you never knew what was going to happen at church. There's many, many times we was there at midnight to 2 o'clock in the morning, and we still got up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock and went to work the next day. Can I have an Amen. 
Why is it that the same old things these pastors are asking week after week after week after week in most churches across America? Do we blame leadership because we say everything rises and falls around leadership? Yeah, I'll take a lot of the blame because I got broad shoulders. And I do know that there's a great responsibility upon us as leaders to have revival. But do we blame the congregation because it's also said you can only lead people that are willing to follow. Like Jeremiah the prophet had, he didn't even have any converts. Noah only had eight. Come on somebody he's a preacher of righteousness only eight him and his family was the only ones that got on the ark you know look at Moses he he let a stiff net people and a whole generation had to die out for that before they could go to the promise so we can put a little blame on the congregation do we blame the, our facilities that maybe we it's not presumable enough it's in most churches do we blame sinners do we blame the devil do we blame the world do we blame the times that we live in well I can honestly say all of these are factors that can have an effect upon a move of God of course they are. But I think that we need to put away the blame game and start looking for the solutions to our dilemma in this 21st century church because truly we are all guilty. Amen? I don't need to be pointing at you. You don't need to be pointing at me. I need to be pointing at myself. If we would all be honest, if we were to point fingers, we would find ourselves like the crowd who was at the gathering when the woman was caught in the very act of adultery and she was dragged before Jesus. And the crowd began to scream out, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, and said, By the law of Moses, she should be stoned. What say ye, Jesus? Jesus just bowed down and wrote with a finger something in the sand. I think he started listing the people's sin or what they'd done the night before. I don't know what he'd done. But he started writing in the sand. Then he looked up and he said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. The Bible says they just kind of dropped their, I'm paraphrasing it, they dropped their stones and the crowd was dispersed because they were all guilty. And can I tell you, there's a sense of guilt in all of us for the lack of the move of God within our land may not always be sin. It can be indifference. It can be walls that we built up. It can be a lack of your, but there is a, there is a sense of guilt in every single one of us of why there's not revival in the land. There's no sense in me trying to somehow uh, use this sermon to design it, to put the blame on a certain uh, or a people group or put emphasis on a certain cause because there's many causes. And we're all guilty of not being able to have the move of God. Before a move of God can happen to the church, I've got to learn how to have a move of God in my own life. When I have a move of God in my own life, I'll bring it to church with me. A lot of people come to church in order to see Jesus. I want to tell you, I want to see Jesus at home and bring him with me. That's the key. That's what we, we got to have proper alignment. This is the place that most people have their time of worship, their time of singing, their time of prayer. This is the only place. If this is the only place we have, this is the place that we are to come and that we are to gather and encourage one another, exhort one another, and be blessed. But it is not a place where we come to find Jesus. Jesus should be with us every single day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It should be a lifestyle. Christianity should be a lifestyle that we live. So this sermon is not designed to play the blame game, but this sermon is to try to get us in a divine enlightenment for the cause of the Holy Spirit to follow. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Unity attracts the anointing. I know that. If there's anything that we cannot lose here at the palace, and we got it, and I don't want to lose it, and that is our understanding that we're in this thing together. With everything that's going on, all this hard stuff that's going on, I want to tell you, we're in this thing together. You're, you're going to have to put up with me whether you like it or not. I'm not going anywhere. I got to put up with you. Well, look at somebody and say, I got to put up with you whether I like you or not. 
Amen? We're in this thing together. I said, we're in this thing together. Ah, somebody ain't getting it. I said, we're in it together. Amen? And by us being in it together, we got to exhort one another, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, provoke one another good works, be patient with one another, correct one another. I don't see anyone doing all that Jesus did, so none of us can say that we've arrived or that we've obtained. I don't see anybody, anyone, blowing it out anywhere and being like Apostle Paul in their ministry. To where you can say, whoo, man, that guy or that woman's got it all together. They're blowing it out in their little atmosphere, in their little, whether it be the uh, whatever uh, ministry that they're over. So, to, so to, we all understand if we haven't arrived and if we're not blowing it out, there's no aim for improvement in every single one of us from the pul- pulpit all the way to the pew. Amen? Just like the Apostle Paul, he said, I'm not, not that I've already obtained, neither we're already perfect, but I follow after. Did you hear that? He said, hey, I've not really hit the high calling of God in Christ. I've not hit the mark yet, but I'm striving, he said. I'm pursuing. I'm looking for it. I'm desiring it. He said, I've not hit it yet, if that I may apprehend that for which I saw also apprehended of Jesus Christ. Paul said that he had not fully come to the full understanding or applied himself to the cause of why God saved him and apprehended him. He said, I was captured. I was arrested by Paul, I mean by God, on the Damascus Road. I, Paul was literally struck down, on, off, knocked off my horse. He showed me everything I should suffer. But I ain't got this all figured out yet. I've not totally obtained yet. Now, if the Apostle Paul said that about his life, how much more have we got to say that about our lives? Hello? There are certain churches that have lost their compassion for the struggling, the hurting, the wounded, the mixed up, and the immature, and they're blaming them for where the church is at and where America's at. They want to blame them for the lack of the move of God. They want to say, it's their fault because they bring in all this stuff with them, all this baggage with them. But with the church and a lot of churches across America, they're void of seeing the things in themselves of why that God may not be moving on the scale that God desires or the way that they desire. We all have a desire of God to move on a certain plateau and he's not, then why? We want to say, oh, it's because, man, that one's coming to the church and that one's coming to the church. Can I tell you this? Revival starts with you, not them. And when you get revived, you'll have even a different outlook on them. Amen. There are churches that become hardened due to thinking that somehow that they've figured it out, that they've arrived at, that they have all the answers, you know, and they have a better idea. They have a better approach to ministry. They have a, a, a better philosophy of ministry. And most of them churches that are like that, you know what? The first thing that they begin to do, they begin to isolate themselves and they begin to seclude themselves and they begin to say, if anybody don't think like me, I don't have any time for them because I've got this thing figured out. So they begin to form these little cliques and they begin to say, I'll put all my time here. I'll build the church on the strong, but we don't need the weak. I want to tell you something, folks. We're all weak. And there'll be people that's stronger than you, and if they had that mentality, they'd leave you out. Can I have an amen? So if you're struggling here today, and you're weak, and you're fighting things, and you got strongholds, don't count yourself out because this church ain't counting you out. Can I have an amen? You're just important to the body of Christ than anybody else. 
and you're going to be loved. How many knows? I'm, I'm going to, we can't lose our compassion one for another. We are to help one another. When we see strongholds of life trying to overcome a brother and sister, we don't need to criticize them. Oh, they're babies. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of full. You know what we got to do? Be patient, long-suffering, even as Christ was patient, long-suffering with us. I don't know why I'm preaching this, but this is important. Somebody needs to hear this today. As where revival comes, it's going to draw every walk of life. And you know, Jesus did put a lot of time in his chosen 12, and he pulled them in there, and he gave them things he didn't give anybody else. But I want to tell you something. Go look at the time and the amount of energy and the amount of love and compassion that Jesus gave also to the masses. Come on, somebody. Jesus looked at people and had compassion upon them because they were as sheep without a, a shepherd. And Jesus loved them. And he cared for them. And he caressed them. He fed them. He done miracles among them. Amen. Everybody wants miracles. We got to have people in the church that need a miracle in order to have a miracle. But somehow we got churches that's too good for people that need miracles. Well, I'm here to tell you, we need a miracle at the palace of praise. We need a turning. We need a rising up. We need a people to understand where we're at because God's got way more for us than what we're receiving right now. We've been preaching it for years, and I'm ready to quit preaching about it and start walking in it and start living in it and let it begin to flow and be manifested in the church. Amen. Would you just stand? I feel led to do this. Would you just lift your hand and say, God, help us to receive the manifold graces of God that's upon us. Help us to open up our hearts to where all that you have for us, God, will rain down and flood our lives and bless us and let us be the people that you want us to be. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. God, help me. I got to hurry. I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Man, I got a lot to preach. I got to hurry. I want to be a little bit negative here just for a moment because sometimes you got to have a negative and a positive in order to get fire. You can't just have all positive and you can't have all negative. You got to put them together. The problem in most churches is that there seems to be little or no passion for the things of God amongst the church. And worldly activity always advances over the cause of the church. A ball game will win over a prayer meeting every single day. I can't come and pray tonight because I can go sit on a bench and watch a ball game. Come on now. Now this is where it gets tough, doesn't it? It shows us we're not out of the line. We're not in proper line. Is it wrong to go to a ball game? Absolutely not. I'm just saying. But when it has more of a passion of your life than the spiritual, we're in trouble. We're out of alignment. We're not going to be successful like that. There is nothing gained due to the interruptions of worldly activities in most churches. It's almost like the church has to take intermissions right in the middle of their spiritual thrust. They want to, all right, we're going to go this way, but we're going to only go for about three weeks. Then we're going to have to take a break so that we can go out and do our worldly stuff. Come on. There has to be a pause, a break, an interval between the movement of the church and the demand for worldly or just physical involvement. The greatest long-term moves of God, they say, happen right after the first of the year in every church in America. They got statistics that prove it. Well, what does that mean? They say most movement in churches happens from January to about March. And then a small interval happens called spring break. You have a great movement for a while and then all of a sudden, oh, we got to take an interval. Spring break's here. We got to forget about the spiritual for a while. Come on. 
The spring break is not just going on a vacation. The spring break is taking a break from the spiritual. It's being consumed by other stuff. Come on. Oh, God, help me. We... Then after spring break, you work hard to bring back the momentum. And right when you get the momentum up, you think, oh, we're fixing to go into full-blown revival. A long intermission sets in called summer break. Then everybody scatters. Oh, it's getting quiet. This is when most churches fight just to meet budget. They just maintain, they just exist. They fight to just keep alive. There's no revival, no outpouring, no visitation. It's just maintenance. Maintenance load. The pastors, leaders are just sitting there fighting. They're doing more calling, more visiting during the summer months than any other time. It's odd how people can go on a two and three, four, five, six week vacation from church. And while they do, for six weeks, there's no tithes coming in. They're not only here checked out physically, they're even checked out financially. Most churches don't even meet budget for the summer. They have to save up to the spring in order to be able to pay the bills through the summer. This is what pastors put up with all over the country. Because summer break comes. We don't have time for church. There's too much other stuff we like to do other than church activity or ministry activity. Come on. Then after school starts, there seems to be a kind of another move of God. People get back into alignment and things begin to happen. God begins to move through the structure. Then something happens called holiday break. Thanksgiving, Christmas. And don't forget the holiday of deer season. It's a holy day. Only to lose the momentum all over again. This is just most churches. And all too often we get right at the threshold of entering into God's presence, but then there's a pushback, a hindrance, a pause. Momentum is crushed, and there's somewhat a sense of settlement between whether we want to live in the well plains of Jordan or do we really want to go over and receive the promise. What is it that we really want? Do we want a Christ where I'm saved and that's good enough? I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Leave me alone, don't press me to do anything else. Also, I want to live a victorious life in the sense of knowing that I'm saved, but that's about all I want to do. You remember the two and a half tribes of Israel that didn't want to go over and fight and take and possess the land? They said, we want to stay on this side. It's a well water. It's a good land. How many of us are saying that? I'm saved. It's a good life. It's a, it's a comfortable life. It's a pressure life. Just leave me alone. Let me just stay right there. Don't really expect anything out of me. Don't really expect me to be a mover or a shaker. Don't expect me to further the cause or to be involved in the challenges or in the conquest or the fights. I don't want them. Can I have an Amen. I was talking to a young lady, never met her before, and we were at a hospital. And she said, well, where do you pastor? I said, well, I'm Kent Miller. I pastor. Oh, I've heard of you. I've heard of your church. And, oh, a lot of my friends go to your church. And I said, well, where do you go to church? And she told me. And I said, really? And, I, and she said, yeah. She said, do y'all have Sunday night services? And I said, oh, yeah, we have Sunday night services. I said, uh, uh, she said, well, I might come because our church don't have Sunday night services. I said, well, you're more than welcome to come and check us out. And we kept talking, and she asked me different questions, and I was asking her questions. I said, uh, how much are y'all running? What's your attendance? She said, oh, about 250, 300 people. I said, wow, that's great. And, I, and, and she said, yeah. And she said, how many do y'all run? And I said, oh, you know, anywhere from 400 to 700 is according to what kind of a Sunday it's going to be. 
And she said, oh, it's kind of like our church. And we giggled and laughed. And then I said, well, what, what does your youth department do? She said, well, we don't really have a youth department. So you don't have a youth department? And that kind of shocked me having a church of, you know, that, that kind of a, no, we don't really have a youth department right now. We're going to try to work on that later on. I said, well, what do you do on Wednesday night? Well, we don't have Wednesday night service. I said, you don't have Wednesday night service? I said, no. I said, well, where do you do your ministry? Oh, well, we have a Bible study every once in a while. And said, but we quit those on the summer months because the pastor said, well, all of us are going to be going to the rivers and the lakes and all that. So we'll just postpone all activities, all spiritual things for the summer. And I'll just come along and join up with you at your river activities and visit with you there. And then we wonder why, folks, we don't have revival. We're out of alignment. We're not in a biblical alignment. I wish I could preach right there for a moment. We love the concert of his presence, his performances, and his mighty acts, but we despise the conquest of his presence where we are demanded to rise up and to fight for his cause. This church is to rise up and fight for the cause of God. We're not in this thing for ourselves. We're supposed to be in it for him and his kingdom. Amen. Nothing can be conquered without conquest and his mighty acts and his concert of presence will be short-lived and not be manifested among us if we do not align ourselves up to his purpose. Are you ready to get in line in the purpose of God? We like him to check in from time to time. A lot of churches do, but we really don't like having to fight in order to capture the presence of God. This has caused us to become comfortable with just a divine visitation but we don't want a full inhabitation of God because where God's presence is, there's a lot of demands. There's a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of conviction. There's a lot of, of cleansing. There's a sanctification that goes. Sanctification's an ugly word, isn't it? Because it means to draw a knife and start cutting things out. It's a circumcision of heart. It's a circumcision of the spirit. And what God's looking for is a church that will open themselves up and say, I just don't want the concert that you're wanting to give me. I don't want just the presence of the mighty acts to come down. I want to be a part of the move of God. Amen. There's one thing in common with pastors and congregations that want a substantial, real, tangible move of God around this nation. I've heard it from all my friends. They're hearing it from their friends. seems like right after a move of God with when excitement and passion and desires at an all-time high and it's ripe. Oh, wow, we're about to go in. You know what seems to happen? The next Sunday when you get here, think, man, we're going to blow it out last Sunday. We got our momentum last Sunday, buddy. There was so much excitement. People wouldn't leave. People were crying. People were having great experiences. Things were shaking. Things were rocking. Only to come back the next week and it be the lowest attending Sunday that you have. What in the world happened? What happened to the momentum? All too often the church finds itself that next week after having that tremendous move of God becoming at its lowest point than any other time that month. It happens all over the country. This is because we have adopted to the mentality that the presence of God's touch is sufficient. And the expectation of us living in his presence is not reasonable, and it's unattainable, and it's not reality. I'm here to tell you that every time we come to church, I can expect my God to meet with me. I don't have to say, well, that's, that's unreasonable to think that. Oh, every time we come to this house, there ought to be a blowout. Every time we come to this house, there ought to be passion dripping. 
There ought to be spiritual climaxing taking place. Come on, somebody. There ought to be somebody that dances every service. There ought to be somebody healed every service. There ought to be somebody saved every service. There ought to be someone delivered every service. There ought to be a spirit of revival in the church every service. It ain't about the numbers. It's about the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit. The numbers will take care of themselves when the move of God takes place. But I'm here to tell you and proclaim and declare and decree that the palace of praise is not going to settle just having a touch and living in the reality of that touch and being blessed. I'm here to tell you, we're going to live under divine authority and divine dominion and power and we're going to be a Pentecostal church. There shall be signs, wonders and divers, miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost poured out upon the church and we will live in the flow of the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. But people don't want to live under that. That's work. We want just enough of the Spirit to make us comfortable and feel good. Then we don't want to be made uncomfortable or stretched by the Spirit to align ourselves up to His will. So what happens? We grieve the Holy Spirit because we use the touch of the Spirit to gratify the flesh instead of be empowered for His cause. Ah, God, forgive us. The cause of the move of God is not properly applied. Therefore, the mission and the cause of the kingdom begins to suffer. We had a form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof. And God says, from such, turn away. And if God's telling you to turn away from that kind of stuff, he'll turn himself away from it. While we have these normal everyday pastors, I got to... I got to get away from my notes or we'll be here all. I ain't got to preach in two weeks, guys. <laughs> mm. See, right now the Holy Spirit's working. Right now the Holy Spirit's moving. Why? Because we're preaching about it. We're in alignment. We're getting ourselves, just aligning ourselves up to the preached word. God's beginning to move among the congregation. Amen. But we have these normal everyday pastors whose congregations is not growing, moving, and experiencing revival. The congregation's frustrated. They're concerned. They're discouraged. So is the pastors. They're good churches. They're good men. They're good congregations. Most of them run anywhere from 20 to 150 because that's the national average between uh, uh, 80, 80% of the churches of America run under 100. And, and out of those 100 uh, that run, a, out of the 80% that runs 100, let me get this right, I'm saying it wrong. 80% of all congregations in America run a, under 100 and those that run 100 is very small because 80% of those that are under 100 are under 50. Can you imagine that? 80% of the church is very few around that 100 mark. God help us. And they're good congregations. And most of them even desire, some of them desire to have a move of God. So what's happening? Why isn't there a move of God? I want to tell you, God wants to move more than we want him to. It ain't God's fault. The church longs for life, but they just seem dead, and the pastor seems to be dying with them, and he don't know what to do. 
They say this describes 90% of the congregations in America. And while they say they long for growth and they want more life in the church, yet there's little passion for God among the people, and it shows by the lack of worship and the loss of compassion for those in the community. So they just have a continual cycle, the same old lifeless motions, the same old lifeless rituals, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. The pastors of these congregations envy to be one of the pastors of the mega churches like that's across town where things are happening and they don't understand why it's not happening for them. Why is it happening for Joe, but it's not happening for me? Why is it going on over there, but it ain't going on over here? They work hard, these pastors do. They pray, they visit, they love the people. They just don't understand why they can't have a move of God like the other churches. However, what's more alarming even than that is this, and I'm going to try to get to this, and then I'll try to just, I'm not, I don't know even if I'm going to get to my text. But what's more alarming is that what they call the moving, shaking, powerful mega churches in America, them churches may not be discouraged, but I want to tell you the pastors are. They've done a survey. I've heard the ones in the church of God and the assemblies of God and the friends that I'm with. These are pastors who pastor churches where there's a high display of adrenaline ever service. Many of them have multiple campuses. There's high energy, aggressive worship, passionate preaching, high responses among the congregation. They're just lively. They're all over the place. Their services have shining, flashing lights, loud music with horns and string instruments, overhead displays and drama activity. Their sermons are articulate. They're highly effectively orchestrated with video inserts, PowerPoint displays, illustrated lessons, and they have a mass marketing process. And they have mass marketing packages. They're on social media, TV, radio, and they mass produce their services and they market it to the world. Their ministries are well-groomed, polished with high-profile, attractive, personal, professionally trained people, and they gain much attention. They look good. But at the end of the day, the pastor, most of those churches are overwhelmed by the phone calls asking him, how'd your services go, man? Competing with one another. His friends are asking, asking how how did your big day go, man? What happened in your church? Offer him to find out at the staff meeting the next following Monday. They come and tell him, hey, you're going to have to leave your series because the attendance is dropping, the finance is dropping. People are losing interest. You've been on the series too long. So they begin to start strategizing for another big launch. They set out to put together another splashly new display of teaching on a new exciting hot topic to keep the interest of the people. And then they market it with a creative, high-energy excitement format that has content that's going to appeal to the people. The pastor then begins to ask himself, instead of the, like the young pastor who goes home to his wife that's running 100, he's scratching his head, saying, why do we come home every single Sunday at the same time? Nothing's happening different in the church. This guy's asking his wife, why does it take all of this stuff to have a response? He's frustrated. Why does everything have to be so forced and so fabricated? Why does everything have to be built on hype instead of substance? Why is there so much emphasis inside, uh, uh, emptiness inside of me after all the energy, the passion, and the movement that we just created in the last few hours of the church? He then goes home, wore out, discouraged, and he questions his whole ministry. What used to drive him is now depleting him. Because it's all built upon if you don't do these things, you lose your congregation. 
while it's getting quiet. He tells his wife and shares with his close friends that he wished he could just go back to pastor a church that had a hundred where there's raw, pure substance. Here you have a guy that's running a hundred and saying, ah, I wish we could be like that guy. I wish we had it all together. I wish I had the creativity, the talent, the ability, the professional staff that he has so I could create the imagery, so I could have the videos and the PowerPoints and, the, and all that kind of stuff so it would help me be more effective. I wish I had the education. They forget it's not about all that thing. It's about the call of God and the anointing. I ain't going to be able to preach all my sermon. Just forgive me. And while he's desiring that, the man that's got five campuses and got it all, and he's got this big name, and everywhere he goes, he's revered and honored, only for him to go home to his wife and his children, about ready to quit every single Monday, tired, wore out, because he can't let up one inch because if he dies, the congregation wings and he'll find a different church that has more exciting stuff to go to. So as he looks at it, he sees that his church is built really upon hype and emptiness. It's built upon the raw talent and the ingenuity of the gifts and the talent of men instead of by the Spirit of God. So you got those just down here unfulfilled and you got those up there unfulfilled. Why? God gave me the answers. Go to the book of Revelations chapter 2. I got to skip a lot of this message tonight. Before we get there, let me just remind us of something. According to CBN News Report, it came out in November of 2021. In the first 10 months, 10 months, not a year, 10 months of 2021, more than 4,000 churches closed in America. Twenty thousand pastors in 10 months of 2021 left the ministry. Not counting preachers, evangelists, and those kinds of people. This is just pastors. Think about it. 20,000 pastors not only left their churches, they quit the ministry. 50% of the current ministers said that they would leave the ministry also if they had another way of making a living. And with the attitude and a spirit like that, what has happened to America then, the office of a true shepherd has been reduced to a hireling. Nationwide, the American church has lost 40% of their attendance since COVID. Prior to COVID, we were running close to 700 every single month. Sometimes we fall to 400. We have 500. Every once in a while, we're back into six. It's even affected us. 40% of the congregation went AWOL over COVID. Where's the substance? The power, the anointing, 
the dominion, the authority. We're on a virus. I don't know where to go. I, 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 if I preach, I'm going to be preaching too long, and I'm sorry. I'll just give you a summary. When he gets to the church of Ephesus, he says, man, I know your works. I know your labor. I know all that you've been doing, how that you know that uh, you prove them to that say they're prophets and they're not. You've proved them to be liars. I preached on this not too long ago. You remember that? He said, you've been patient. You can't, you can't, you can't put up with that which is evil. That old woman of Jezebel, you don't put up with her. You sound within your doctrine that he says, but I have somewhat against you. You labor, you work, you bore up, you're patient, but I still got something to, you're doing all this stuff, you're laboring, you're working. Four different times in those two passages, he talks about work. Then again, he talks about labor. Then he talks about bearing up the burden, the, the what weight you carry. He says, I see all that. But with you doing all of that, I still have somewhat against you. You're doing all this stuff. You're sounding your doctrine. You're, you're morally upright. You're not out here. You're rebe- you, you, you're, you, you, the reason you've drifted away or fallen back is not because of rebellion. But I got something against you. You've left your first love. We got it all mixed up in the body of Christ. Here's where I should have spent most of my time. We think that to align or to rise up means I got to do more. It means, man, I got to go after it. All those definitions that I gave to you in the front of that sermon, them are all wrong. That is not the way you align yourself. Oh, but if I want to be in the will of God, I got to pray more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to work more. I got to do more labor. Tragedy hits, what do people do? I mean, they run to works. We're trying to work in order to align ourselves into the presence of God, but if we would just go back and love him unconditionally and let him fall in love with us and us with him and be infatuated with Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have to worry about the works. They would take care of themselves. Amen. I remember over in Ninth Cedar when me and Jenny went there in 1986. We were green as a gourd. We didn't know anything. I hadn't been preaching. I didn't even know the Word of God that well. Set four years under my pastor. Time to launch. I didn't feel like it was, but God felt like it was, and I launched. We went over to a church. It wasn't about the talent. It wasn't about the facility. The facilities were oh. Horrible. Folks, we didn't even have no music. We didn't have a classroom. We didn't have a chalkboard. We didn't have a piece of chalk. And said, man, though, you went in there with all your talent and hype. Nope. You know what we did? We went in there just loving Jesus. We say things wrong. We do things wrong. We, but none of it backfired. you know Why? Because in our weakness, his grace covered it all because of our love that we set upon him. And now that we've learned some things, oh, all of a sudden, it seems like that we want to diminish our relationship with Christ and focus about more of what we're doing. Everybody's wanting the pastor, what do we do next? What do we do next? I want to tell you what we do next. We start loving Jesus. And we have a Christ-centered church. 
Our faith has got to be Christ-centered. Jesus asked his disciple, who do men say that I am? He's not interested in what you're doing. He's interested in how you're viewing. He's interested in who do you say I am? What am I to you? Some say, well, you're a prophet, Elijah. Some say you're Elias. Some say you're Jeremiah. And he gets tired. He says, I'm not worried about what the world views me of. What do you and who do you say that I am? And finally, Peter speaks up and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He looks at Peter and says, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. This is the revelation. And I tell you, upon this rock, upon this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll be loosed in heaven. I want you to stand by me. I'm sorry I didn't get to, get to that full understanding for you. But I feel, I don't want to over-preach. Do we need to do our best? Do we need to try to be excellent and everything? Yeah, yes, yes. But that can't replace our relationship with Christ. Instead of us trying to establish a relationship by the things that we do, the things we do should come as a result of the relationship we have with him. I am to work out of my Sabbath, not to work in order to obtain a Sabbath. I am to work out of the rest of that Sabbath, Christ being my Sabbath. Amen. Under the law, Sabbath came on Saturday. Amen. You work all day, all week, and then as a result of your labor, you rest. But under grace, Christ became our Sabbath. And now at the resurrection, we receive rest at the first day of the week, and we work out of our rest. Amen. We don't work in order to obtain rest. We work as a result of our rest. What we need is passion to rise in the house of God. You know, here's where we go wrong, folks. Let me just meddle just a little bit. Because all this is in my notes. Pastors want to come in. They want to have a high energy service the way they do. Praise the Lord. Lift up your hands. Magnify the Lord. He inhabits the praises of his people. So what do people do to try to experience a move of God? Oh, we want inhabitation. We'll, we'll praise him. What are they doing? They're praising him so that they might receive something from him. It's all based about ourselves. I shouldn't have to say, hey, guys, worship the Lord. When we walk through those doors, we ought to have passionate praise because we're in love with Jesus Christ and our worship is for him and him alone, regardless of what he does. And then as we worship him, we leave it up to him to do what he wants to do. And then when we worship him in spirit and truth, he can't help but inhabit and miracles just start breaking out. But he don't want you to worship him just for what he's got to offer. He wants you to worship him for who he is. He's your rock. He's your fortress. He's your mighty tower. He's your savior. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the mighty foundation in which we, we are built upon. Everything that we are, we live and we move and we exist by him and through him. Upon Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. 
the intimacy of the church has to return back to Jesus Christ. He's got to be the center focal point. He's got to be the center of our faith. Everything we do is that we got to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Every once in a while, my wife will say, when are you going to quit treating me like a wife, like most, and start dating me some? I thought dating was over when you got married. That's what my concept was. And that's the concept of a lot of the church as well. I think the dating's over when we get saved and get born again, come in and get filled with the Holy Ghost. The dating process is over with Christ. Come on, guys. We need intimacy from Jesus Christ. I don't want to be just another statistic. I don't want to be just another church. I don't want us to just be going through our programs and doing more and more and more, making more noise, having more movement, and not having effectiveness. I'm tired of shooting the rock and missing the mark by 100 miles. I'm tired that the things that we say is not lining up with what is actually being manifested and happening. As great of a church as we have, Honestly, I think we're one of the greatest congregations around. Oh, but we can be greater. We can be better. We can be more effective. We can be more anointed. But we got to get back to Calvary. You know what? God told the church at Ephesus, repent from where you have fallen and do your works over, your first works over. He said, go back to Calvary. Repent of where you, why you fall. You've labored, you've worked, you're doing all that, but repent, you're fallen. Rising up is not the, the definitions at the beginning. The rising up is like Lazarus. Lazarus died. We have dead churches that is doing a lot of spiritual activity and having no effectiveness. Aren't you tired of that? And he said, repent from where you're from. How was Lazarus resurrected? By the power of Christ's resurrection. He said, roll back the stone. Lazarus, he heard the call. He heard the invitation. And he obeyed the command, come forth. All we got to do is be resurrected by Jesus this morning. Just pure, raw resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Falling in love with him again. And all this other stuff of hitting the mark, having success, getting spiritual empowerment, all that stuff that we want, it will come naturally. It will just happen. Would you come this morning and just love on Jesus Christ? Would you find a place to pray and just fall in love with him all over again? Yeah, just love him, adore him. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you want more. Tell him you're not, you're not wanting works, you're wanting him. Seek his face and not his hand. Seek his heart and not, not his benefits. Just say, I love you, Lord. I want more of you here today. Oh, God, help us. Oh, I love him, church. God wants us to break through. Just repent. Cry and say, oh God, forgive me. I don't want to be just a person of hype, a person of emotion. I want substance. I want to be rooted and grounded in love. 
because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. As we seek Him, God's love is then shed abroad in our hearts. Oh, God, help us here today. Oh, it's serious here this morning.
thank you, Lord. Could you lift your hands and thank the Lord for the presence of Jesus here today? Don't ever take him for granted. Don't ever, don't, don't ever take him for granted to the point while he was here. We're so blessed to have, feel his presence at the palace. I want you to pray a little prayer with me, then we'll dismiss. Say, God, realign me. Let my affection, my passion, my heart, my energy all be focused upon you and nothing else. Let me seek you first and the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I trust that all these other things that we desire and want will automatically happen. They'll just follow suit. Let you be the centerpiece of my faith. Let you be the centerpiece of my relationship with the church. May you always be the head and me always the body. Not viewing you through the lens of men, but having you allow me to see myself as you see me. You're not John the Baptist. I don't want to humanize God. You're not John the Baptist. You don't always think the way I think. You don't always believe the way I believe. And the things that I am sold out to, you're not always sold out to. But Lord, there's one thing I know. Your way's always right. My way's always wrong. So help me to crucify myself under your way. For you're the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except you. I don't want to humanize you. You're not John the Baptist. You're not Jeremiah. You're not one of the prophets. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And we worship you, and you'll always be the head of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Worship him and stay as long as you want around the altars.